to a pleasure podcast for more from our sex podcast collective visit pleasurepodcasts.com this episode is sponsored by back to the body go listen to last week's episode to hear all about back to the body from founder pamela madsen and learn about my experiences at one of the retreats in summary it was awesome i'm always looking for new ways to connect better with myself my body my sexuality and to find new resources for clients and listeners and at back to the body they embrace the complex and all-encompassing nature of sexual desire pamela and her staff of certified back to the body method practitioners use their expertise to guide folks through transformative whole body healing journeys that are individually tailored to fit your specific needs. All you have to do is bring your body. They have week-long sensuous retreats for women, private retreats for couples or groups, shorter events called portals, and online coaching opportunities. Go to backtothebody.org if you're ready for a whole body healing experience. Or better yet, come check out Back to the Body's upcoming portal event happening December 2nd to the 4th in Los Angeles. This non-residential event is for women to ask questions and explore what Back to the Body offers in a safe weekend container. You can witness live demonstrations, receive the art of adoration, experience the Lotus Lift meditation, enjoy workshops, and more. And right now, there's only a few spots left, so go to backtothebody.org slash events slash permission to secure your spot. And if you can't make this one, check out their other retreats and awesome offerings. I really feel like Back to the Body retreats changed my sex life and gave me immense healing and community, so please just give yourself permission to show up. If you don't identify as a woman, you can even gift it to a woman in your life who you think deserves more pleasure, which is all of us. If you're not ready to commit, you can even book a Back to the Body free consultation call at backtothebody.org. It's a free 30-minute call that offers professional support on issues involving your intimacy, your body, and your sex life. So check out backtothebody.org to sign up for the portal event and or a free call. That's backtothebody.org. Now to the episode. Thanks for tuning in. Sluts and Scholars is a sex-positive, shame-free educational podcast where we try to help you talk smart and fuck smarter. While we love to give advice and resources, please note that this podcast or any emails from us are not intended to be therapy or a replacement for therapy. Welcome to another month of Sluts and Scholars. Remember this season we are doing new themes each month and November's theme is sex and culture. We will highlight some of the many ways that sex fits into our broader experiences, relationships, and life. We'll be covering topics around social values, spirituality, music, psychedelics, and more. This week features somatic pleasure coach and sex and intimacy educator Irene Morning. Apologies in advance, we took, we took a super comfy approach to recording this one in a living room, which was so cozy, and as a result, my audio is a little quieter than I'd like. We talk about neurodiversity and complex trauma, as well as how these facets affect relationships, kink practices, and non-monogamy. We also discuss emotional flashbacks, toxic shame, and healing relationally through kink and non-monogamy. We even talk about Irene's new book called The Polyamory Paradox, Finding Your Confidence in Consensual Non-Monogamy, which is now available for purchase, and they even have some complimentary copies available on her website. If you're in LA and want to come meet me and Irene, I'll be helping her host her book launch party on November 17th at 7 p.m. It's free, but you must RSVP as spaces are limited. I will put the Eventbrite link in the episode write-up, and we hope to see you there. Welcome back to another week of Sluts and Scholars. I'm Nicoletta Heidegger, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and sexologist. And this week, I'm excited to be joined in a living room by Irene Morning. (laughs) She is a somatic pleasure coach, sex and intimacy educator, and neurodivergent polyamorous femme who helps others reclaim pleasure as a means of trauma resolution and create relationships that fulfill their unique needs and desires. Her work is rooted in the understanding that pleasure is liberatory, not only at the individual level, but also for our collective ways of being she is a science loving pleasure witch (laughs) welcome (laughs) thank you okay so you mentioned you are neurodivergent Mm -hmm. how does that that, i am yes same (laughs) how does that show up for you in relationships Uh (laughs) (laughs) uh-huh yeah so i mean i think one of the easiest examples is probably when i say my neurodivergence is adhd and also complex ptsd um, I share that ADHD with you. Yeah. Um, so you know some of it. I mean, although I'm sure you have your own expression. Uh, but I think one of the easiest examples in that realm is like, I am 
almost completely time blind. Like I do not understand how time works. And it has been uh, an area of great struggle and also great learning and growth to to work on that with my partner like it has become um you know if i'm on a date with someone else and say i'm going to be home by a certain time or not even a date but just like going out with other people uh and think when i'm leaving like oh yeah this many hours should be plenty for that but i'm also incredibly social and fairly extroverted so like once i'm in another social setting i have no concept and then you're hyper focused and on then that. exactly <laughs> and so i'll come home like five hours later and like accidentally wake him up and it's like and if that's not something that your partner is understanding and maybe compassionate about it feels very much like you don't care and you're not checking in with me and mm -hmm. uh this wasn't our agreement totally <laughs> just for for listeners out there if you're tuning in for the first time i have a really what i think is a great episode with um ari tuckman um he's got a book and a podcast called adhd after dark um but we did an episode a while ago i'll put it in the show notes but if you really want to focus on adhd and like sex specific from a kind of basics perspective go back to that one because we're gonna be talking about other stuff too and i think there's also like the other i'm realizing i can actually combine the two different the diagnoses PTSD well. the ptsd as well because i'm thinking of like one time actually where i was i was on a date with someone and was aware of the time but then actually like struggling to get myself out of that context yeah um like couldn't quite figure out how to navigate that social dynamic and was like starting to feel this internal pressure building up yeah and what wound up happening when i left i i went home probably like an hour and a half later than i said i was going to be and this was a, a an area of friction already and so i had this sort of like spiraling going on inside of me mm. that for me was really touching on what pete walker who does a lot of um complex ptsd stuff refers to as toxic shame and so by the time i got home i was like sobbing because i was so ashamed yeah. that i couldn't manage my time and i couldn't manage my social interaction with someone who I also like, by the way, it was a first date and I was pretty clear that it wasn't really going to go anywhere. Yeah. But that's really tough. Cause then you don't feel, I don't know, I want to say how you feel, but like for a first date, like I usually will do some like pre safety stuff to make sure it's someone I feel connected enough with, but it's not like you can fully access all of your stuff to be like, this is what's happening for me. And I'm going through my like, you know, shame cycle, whatever. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Can, but it's harder in a first date. Well, part of what was going on with that first date was it was like, there were a lot of layers to this particular one. Um, but part of where I was realizing like, this isn't going to get more of my energy is it was someone who was not actually poly uh, and also had a lot of what I was perceiving as like, unrecognized toxic masculinity and so it, i was like this is not someone who i'm going to be vulnerable with in that mm -hmm. way which yeah. i think was part of where i was struggling to actually like get out of the interaction yeah wait, um, can you explain toxic shame yeah so or i mean i can i can talk about it in terms of like how i feel it yeah um I definitely haven't been connected to the Pete Walker work, but that sounds like I need to be. Yeah, there. I I can send a couple links for good, like complex PTSD, like overview mm -hmm. books. And for listeners out there who maybe haven't heard that term, I don't know how you would define it, but mm -hmm. I define complex PTSD as the layers of trauma that kind of add on to one another. Um, and it sort of results in a, in a mega trauma experience mm -hmm. in the nervous system. I would say most people to some extent probably exist with some complex PTSD because we all have trauma, trauma meaning something that overwhelms the nervous system, but obviously different experiences can add to different things. And so the unresolved ways in which those like show up to impact our nervous system and our functioning and the way that we connect with others, um, layered on top of layered uh makes it really fucking hard <laughs> is that how you would yeah. define it <laughs> totally okay yeah i mean i might add a couple of things but that's like basically it um i think one of the ways that, that i sometimes find useful 
to talk about it is it's some it's almost interchangeable with the the notion of developmental trauma it's like if you were growing up in a context where there was trauma consistently or there was a lack of getting your needs met consistently for like any number of reasons mm -hmm. that gets programmed into you as attachment wounds and different coping mechanisms um and the different people who i kind of follow around or whose um whose framing of complex ptsd <laughs> just yeah just literally follow them around like hey what do you got for me no, today about yeah. <laughs> um talk about it a lot as like either an ongoing experience of neglect or abuse yeah and i think sometimes when when we hear things framed that way we yeah. could think about it in like really intense terms you know what i mean like i was molested I, by a parent right i was molested or like victim of human trafficking or mm -hmm. that that kind of like extreme thing and part of what I like to explain to people is like, I actually really think that capitalism creates a lot of the circumstances for your parents who might be really stressed out or struggling with their own mental and health. And physically unavailable. Exactly. And like the way that we put so much pressure on the monogamous couple okay. and that family unit is just like really overwhelming for a lot of people. Yeah. And and so as a, a child growing up in a context of your parents are overloaded, there might be a lot of times that life is just happening and you're not getting your needs met. Mm -hmm. um, for me in particular, my mom died when I was 14 and my dad just like really struggled in the aftermath of it. And she'd been sick for a very long time. And that's so there in and of itself, you know, of like someone not being able to show up because they're unwell. Right. And it was like both of my parents not being able to show up because my dad was so focused on taking care. It was like the whole family system. But I think you highlighted got... an important thing that like in a lot of areas, there's this sort of like hierarchy of trauma and like mm -hmm. granted certain things can definitely affect people more intensely. Um, but it's not like there's a an objective book where it's like, if you have this kind of trauma, it's going to affect you in this way. If you have this kind mm -hmm. of trauma, it's going to be this smaller way. Our nervous systems don't have logic brains like that. Totally. So whatever the thing is, it's, it's not going to differentiate totally. between. Um, it's just going to have an experience based on how it, how it perceives that experience to be. Exactly. And, and I think, you know, like a good, I don't know, example of that or like to understand that is like, I have a younger brother. We lived through the exact same family stuff. His nervous system operates very differently than mine. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of difference there. It's not just like, oh, your mom gets sick and then you have this experience with your dad. And so like that equals this expression. Mm -hmm. It's way more complicated and nuanced than that. Yeah. Um, but so uh, for me, there was a lot of just like the family, the family system got focused on this illness and then this loss and then all of the reverberation from that. And like, that's a lot of pain for a four person unit, you know, and a lot of really like complicated dynamics. Um, and so to circle back to like, then how that's showing up in my relationships, as an adult, yeah. the toxic shame piece is like in that example where I'm going home from a date and sobbing by the time I get home because I feel so shitty about like not really being, not really feeling in control, right? Yes. Like that's, that's a huge part of it that, that like relates your experience in the present moment as an adult back to those challenging times in your development, mm -hmm. that feeling of like, oh, I, where's my agency, mm -hmm. you know? And like the, the way that the world is operating, I'm not really figuring out how to interact with effectively. And so the shame piece is then when I get home, right? My partner has every right to be frustrated by this, regardless of like, if he can be understanding about like where it's coming from. Yeah. Um, that's a tough balance, right? Of like compassion and you still have a boundary. Right. And, and that's one of the things that, that actually I think, um, non-monogamy has given me like a lot of skills around, mm -hmm. right. Of, of when I think about 
you know, being able to talk about jealousy or being able to kind of work out like what's going on in how we're feeling about each other's relationships. There's a lot of like, Hey, I just need you to witness this feeling with me. Mm -hmm. Like you're not responsible for it, but I also need to communicate to you that it's happening for me. Like there's a, an emotional muscle that we build up of being able to differentiate like, okay, I can have my feelings about this. I'm entitled to my feelings about this. And even if I'm understanding of what's going on in your life, I'm still going to communicate with you about my feelings so that like our intimacy is staying intact. And it's a similar thing there where like, you know, I'm working on these things and that doesn't mean that my partner should like erase how frustrating it is, Mm -hmm. you know? So I'm coming home like totally upset. Yeah. And partner's disappointed. A partner's disappointed. Partner's like waiting to have a conversation with me before partner goes to bed. And And you're sobbing. <laughs> and I'm spiral. sobbing and in a shame spiral. And and what that winds up doing is actually like robbing him of the opportunity to just tell me how it felt. Yeah, because then it's about your it, feelings. It winds up centering me, right? Because my response but, but is how like do you get out of that. <sighs> I mean, I think it's practice for me. It's been practice. I think for me, it's having like corrective experiences in relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, I think therapy for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. What do you think has been, and that's not like it means every time it's easy or I've like got Mm -hmm. it on lock, but like, what do you think has made it better for you to navigate those types of tricky situations? And and wouldn't it just be easier to be monogamous? (laughs) Which was the, so when I, when I first started opening up, like when I first was realizing I was non-monogamous, I had just moved cities Mm -hmm. and was like in between therapists. And when I got back into therapy for the first time in non-monogamy, it was like so shitty. She just was terrible. Like she was trying to push you towards monogamy. Well, that, that question that you just asked, like, wouldn't it just be easier to be monogamous Uh was like her baseline with me yeah. was like, and how would be, this be different if you yeah, were I monogamous? Said more like sarcasm. No, not. exactly. <laughs> but like, I, I like part of why I do coaching and non-monogamy is like, because of questions like because that. Because there are so many, because I feel like there's just such a, it's getting better now, I think. Uh, or maybe I'm just more aware of like all the people doing this work. But at the time it was so hard for me to find someone who actually knew how to be supportive of what was going on mm-hmm. and like how to ask me the right questions to like make non-monogamy work better for me, not just like steer me back towards yeah. monogamy. Yes. So what did help non-monogamy work better for you and become more healing? Yeah. Um, some of it was, some of it was finding practitioners that actually had experience with this. Mm-hmm. Um, where like I wasn't their first non-monogamous client. Yeah. Um, some of it was, I, I mean, I'm going to give my nesting partner. I, I don't love using the term primary, but like for all intents and purposes, he is my primary partner. Give him a lot of credit because there was a lot in the first, uh, there was a lot in the beginning of our relationship where, my trauma was getting triggered in like a big way that I was actually like not really familiar with. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the, one of the sort of like landmarks of complex PTSD is what they call emotional flashbacks where like in regular PTSD, it's fairly easy to identify like if you get triggered by like a loud noise like let's say your ptsd is from war or like a car Mm. crash or something you can map it a little bit Mm -hmm. more specifically right so like in in those examples if you hear a loud bang or something and recognize like your body getting flooded with sensations or you know your vision getting blurry like all your heart racing all that stuff you can pretty clearly identify like, okay, this goes back to this experience, Mm -hmm. right? Like this goes back to this context. Emotional flashbacks are tricky because it's a felt sense experience and can be less of a 
there's this specific thing. It's like a state of being that wasn't, that was unsafe. Exactly. And for a lot of people, myself included, when I actually at the beginning of my relationship with my primary partner, didn't like fully recognize that as a diagnosis that was true for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, Part of what's tricky with complex PTSD is it's not recognized in the DSM. I think the World Health Organization now recognizes it, but there are, I mean, I've had psychiatrists in my life who don't actually interact with it as a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of like, yeah, you can label me with an anxiety disorder, but like, it's more complicated. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or personality (laughs) disorder. Totally. Um, So I was having all of these emotional flashbacks that were getting triggered because, you know, I, I really kind of like, I chose a challenging situation. We do these things to ourselves um, in such hilarious ways sometimes, right? So my mom died when I was 14 and I chose a partner who travels internationally for work. Like he's a touring musician. And so is constantly leaving, yeah. right? Like my core wound is around abandonment and I chose someone who leaves all the time. But that's a thing that we unconsciously do to try to have a corrective experience and that's okay. But as long as you're aware, I think, I, this is my opinion, but as long as you mm-hmm. become aware of that and learn how to work through it to actually have a corrective experience with someone who can do that. But I think a lot of the ways that most folks do it unconsciously is to just repeat the trauma patterns Mm -hmm. with someone who maybe can't show up that way. And it doesn't feel like something you have insight about. And then you're just recreating that emotional experience over and over and over again. Exactly. And that's fun. (laughs) So much fun. So So much fun. Oh, those emotional flashbacks that come in and kick your ass. So fun. (laughs) But so I give him a lot of credit because I mean, I was starting to understand from what was going on. I mean, it was sort of like the perfect storm of of pieces to actually address it, right? Because I had just finished a master's degree in yoga therapy that came along with all this education in like how trauma operates in the body. And I just hadn't really turned it around on myself yet. Mm-hmm. Like I knew that all of those practices had been really helpful for me in like other parts of my trauma recovery, but I hadn't yet applied what I was learning about the nervous system and polyvagal theory and all of that to my relational life and my sexuality. Like part of one of the pieces that was coming online for me was like, I didn't realize I was queer until I started exploring an open relationship. Mm. And it was kind of rocking my world to reckon with my sexuality in this way and also be dealing with this abandonment wound and also be in a new city. It was like so many things at once. Yeah. And yeah, that's a lot. It was a lot, which is also one of the unconscious things with complex PTSD is like and ADHD and ADHD. I could do 10,000 things at once. I'm going to solve all of these things at the same time. And I'm going to have time to get home in time for dinner. Yeah. I am not going to be late coming home from this date. What is the, 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 we'll solve any crime. By dinner. dinner. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I will solve any trauma by the time. By the sex party. Exactly. (laughs) So, (laughs) yeah. So one of the things, and I mean, I could talk this up to ADHD too, but like one of my hyperfixations becomes like, understanding healing like once just for I, listeners out there if you aren't familiar with this again go back to that episode with Ari Tuckman but like I think a lot of people when they hear ADHD they think like inattention because that's mm-hmm. how it's been described but there's sort of an opposing force that can happen for some people where it's hyper focus on one thing mm-hmm. um, and often something that like doesn't need to maybe have that much time and energy <laughs> yeah. so like it'd yep. be good if I had like hyper focus when I'm like writing an essay um, but it usually comes in and like um, researching the best chair to get for hours. Yeah, yeah Which totally is done that. Like not when maybe I mean, I have 10 other things I need to get done. Um, so that's just a, in case y'all didn't know. Yeah. So, <laughs> and I'm going to talk about that for 10 more minutes is my hyper focus. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I've kind of lucked out 
in in one sense here in that like one of my hyper fixations where i really like to spend a lot of energy and hyper focus is around healing mm -hmm. and i've gotten to make a career out of that and i've gotten to make work out of actually like really using my own life and my own experience as a case study that then gets to translate into helping other people. Is that the kind of thing that you feel like you're grateful for? Because I didn't want to, I found myself wanting to immediately be like, I wish my hyper focus was that. And I guess it is because it's in my field. <laughs> but you know, it's that sort of thing where I think some people, um, you know, I don't want to minimize it either, where some people are like, oh, well, my thing is like exercising and eating healthy, but that can also be create a dysfunctional relationship too. So like, how, how do you mm -hmm. feel about your hyper-focus being on wellness and spirituality? Well, so I think it's, it's tricky. This episode is sponsored by Back to the Body. Go listen to last week's episode to hear all about Back to the Body from founder Pamela Madsen and learn about my experiences at one of the retreats. In summary, it was awesome. I'm always looking for new ways to connect better with myself, my body, my sexuality, and to find new resources for clients and listeners. And at Back to the Body, they embrace the complex and all-encompassing nature of sexual desire. Pamela and her staff of certified Back to the Body method practitioners use their expertise to guide folks through transformative whole body healing journeys that are individually tailored to fit your specific needs. All you have to do is bring your body. They have week-long sensuous retreats for women, private retreats for couples or groups, shorter events called portals, and online coaching opportunities. Go to backtothebody.org if you're ready for a whole body healing experience. Or better yet, come check out Back to the Body's upcoming portal event happening December 2nd to the 4th in Los Angeles. This non-residential event is for women to ask questions and explore what Back to the Body offers in a safe weekend container. You can witness live demonstrations, receive the art of adoration, experience the Lotus Lift meditation, enjoy workshops, and more. And right now, there's only a few spots left, so go to backtothebody.org slash events slash permission to secure your spot. And if you can't make this one, check out their other retreats and awesome offerings. I really feel like Back to the Body retreats changed my sex life and gave me immense healing and community, so please just give yourself permission to show up. If you don't identify as a woman, you can even gift it to a woman in your life who you think deserves more pleasure, which is all of us. If you're not ready to commit, you can even book a Back to the Body free consultation call at backtothebody.org. Uh, it's a free 30-minute call that offers professional support on issues involving your intimacy, your body, and your sex life. So check out backtothebody.org to sign up for the portal event and or a free call. That's backtothebody.org. Now to the episode. I feel really, really, really grateful that it gets to be this thing that helps other people and that I'm really passionate about. Like I love what I get to do for work. I love getting to be with my clients. I love getting to throw the events that I do. I, I mean, I'm like in the process of finishing up this book project right now. And like, it has been a Tell us about doozy. Tell quick before we get <laughs> on a tangent. So the book is, is talking about a lot of the same stuff. The book, um, is called The Polyamory Paradox, Finding Your Confidence in Consensual Non-Monogamy. And it is really meant to be a, somewhat of a guide in like, if you're getting really overwhelmed and triggered in your process of opening up, like if, if you really want it, if you have this strong desire to be in a non-monogamous yeah. dynamic. That you don't have to be the person to be like, well, shouldn't I just do monogamy? Yeah, but like, actually experiencing it is kind of like knocking you out, mm -hmm. which, you know, I had that experience, but I also have plenty of clients who come to me with that experience, yeah. breaking down like what's going on and how do we work with it? Mm -hmm. um, and, and talking about like, really, how do we center the body in this, which is kind of what I was going to circle back to. Two ADHD people do a podcast about their favorite thing. Yes. It's like ping pong, ping pong. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. uh, but so uh, that's a lot of what the book is about is exactly what we're talking about here of like, how do you understand, how do you make sense of that experience, right? Because part of what happened for me and part of what I hear from clients is like, I thought I was mostly doing okay until I was running into these particular 
like attachment triggers, right? And and I even have I'm thinking of like one client right now who, you know, came to me wanting to open up uh, post divorce and be not like pursuing polyamory as a single person. And she was having all these like really amazing expansive experiences in the realm of sexuality and kind of more casual dating. And then as soon as she had an experience of falling in love with someone Mm -hmm. and it was more like, Oh, we're, we're more attached to each other here. The triggers were totally different. Mm -hmm. Um, and like, we'd been working together for a while when she, she called me and was like, well, like, I'm in crisis. This is totally different. Like I'm not in control of what's happening in my body. This is uh, like, I need a session. (laughs) And you know, we got in there and kind of were like, yeah, in short worked it out. We're talking about like when that fear of attachment or when that attachment is challenged, right? Our, our attachment system develops in order for our survival Mm -hmm. to work, right? Like it's what keeps us in the herd. And so when we, when we perceive that our attachment is challenged, our body can interpret it as actually life-threatening. So figuring out how to tune into that and how to actually like rewire how your body interprets certain things is like non-monogamy can be so, so, so hard in that way because you're consciously choosing to open yourself to that trigger. But it also, if you have developmental trauma, if you have PTSD around attachment stuff, it also is an amazing opportunity for healing. Mm -hmm. So to circle back to your question of kind of like, how have I gotten to, to work with that was really by approaching it that way. And, and, framing it to myself and also to my partner, like really making sure that like my, my partner maybe didn't understand it to the same extent that I did, but could respect like, okay, this looks like I'm in serious distress. I have moments of being in serious distress. And also I understand that as opportunities for rewiring this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, <laughs> I'm, I'm pot. Cause it's like, I also don't, I mean, it's a, it's an interesting thing because I I'm sitting here having just had a month ish couple months actually mm-hmm. of getting back into a realm of getting like really, really triggered around some stuff that no longer really feels like it's about non-monogamy was actually like about some other relational stuff that yeah. had me back in an emotional fat flashback place. And I think a good reminder maybe to listeners, like I, I wish I could say that like doing the work on this stuff is like I did that and it's gone and the triggers are gone or whatever. Exactly. And that's what my pause was, is like, I don't actually want to frame it that way. I, part of what's really important to me in claiming neurodivergence and in actually, uh, to me, ADHD and, and complex PTSD, like, I happily label them disabilities because to me, disability is about like, how how do you get your needs met in the context in which you exist, right? And those are forms of neurodivergence that make it challenging. Mm-hmm. Like they add a layer of challenge mm-hmm. to the context that I have to live in. And for me, like part of claiming that is actually really talking more openly about like, this stuff doesn't go away. I mean, you know, we get better at working with it. Yeah, we form better relationships with it. Exactly. Um, but I was, I actually was listening to a podcast interview, I believe with Pete Walker a couple of weeks ago. So the guy who like really pioneered this stuff and has done probably the most profound work with his own therapy clients around complex PTSD and was saying like, this is a man who I'm assuming is like in his sixties and was talking about how he still has emotional flashbacks mm-hmm. and they get less intense and they get fewer and farther between, but they're still there. And I had this moment of listening to that and being like, oh, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like, but then I was also like, you know what? Like I can work with that. And 
I can also like every time it feels like I'm at a place in my adult self where like when emotional flashbacks happen, they're uncovering some new piece at this point. Like I'm not so looking at it with more of a curiosity of like, oh, that's new and interesting. I'm a little annoyed, but like I have some tools to work with this now. Right. Well, and so the last time I had an emotional flashback, part of what we discovered is that so there, there'd been a, a long, a pretty long period in between emotional flashbacks for me. And in that time, my relationship with BDSM has gotten more developed, more robust. And it was this interesting thing where like I was in this emotional flashback and my partner was trying to figure out like how best to support. During scene or? No. Oh. In general, That's in my okay. life. I like where this uh -huh, is going. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You're going to be stoked in a minute. So my partner was Please like, let there be dead. <laughs> my partner was he, like, one of the things that I recommend to clients, and this is something that has, has developed, um, is actually kind of like giving your partner a trigger manual for you of like, when my behavior goes in this direction, or like when you read these signals in me, like these are the things that help. And that's where it's clear that you've done the work is because you know how to maybe self-parent or what you need to co-regulate mm -hmm. in those moments. And that takes a lot of, can take a lot of insight work to get to a place where you can say, here's what I need, because in those moments, you don't know what you need in those, and your memory is gone. Right. Like you're flooded. Your prefrontal cortex is just like offline. Mm -hmm. And so that's part of why I say like, do it as a manual. Mm -hmm. So like, there's a post-it note on our calendar in my kitchen. I love it's that. Like, it's like, if I do, yeah. if I have this kind of breakdown, here's what I want you to do. Exactly. Give me a watermelon while you massage my feet. Yeah. Actually, I'm going to write that on mine. I, that's a good one. <laughs> so what, how did it turn but, So, so we were having this moment where like, I was in a, a more intense emotional flashback than has happened in a really long time. And and actually my partner was recognizing like, oh, wow, I don't think I've ever actually like been in the same physical space for you for one of these. Like he was also having a moment of like, oh, wow, I'm seeing like a new expression of this and it's freaking me out a little bit, but I'm going to like check out the post-it note and offer you some things. Well, that's tough as well, right? Because I think partner has to decide, is this something I can, can and am willing and have the bandwidth to take on? Or <laughs> is it feeling like... Uh, you know, a way that's like too much for me and, and I can't, and, and then that can re-trigger your stuff. And the, here so comes the, here comes yeah. the toxic shame spiral even right, more. Right. You know what I I'm mean? too much for you. You're going to leave me anyway. Exactly. I need more. So just leave, but don't leave. Yep. And like all this disorganized <laughs> attachment stuff comes in. It's just a mess. <laughs> you know me or what? <laughs> so he's like trying to, to suggest tools, mm -hmm. the tools that I have laid out <laughs> and I like nothing really makes sense or like it'll get me sort of like toward regulation for a second and then it's like forget about it again. And he looked at me at one point and he was like, well, what about some impact? Like maybe let's play with some spanking. And in, in our kink dynamic, um, we use colors and numbers to kind of rate like where are you at what intensity are we at and so we started doing some impact play and he asked me for my number and i couldn't answer him mm, that's hard because i want consent but also you might have needed more sensation i couldn't gauge the intensity in my body uh. and it was a signal to me like understanding as much as I do about how sensation works, I was like, oh, I wasn't labeling this as dissociation before, but I understand now that I am drifting into the spectrum of dissociating mm -hmm. and said to him, like, keep going. Like, I'm down. I think this is actually going to do something supportive for me. I don't know what number to give you right now, but like, I don't know, try a little harder. <laughs> yeah. Which is a fine balance, right? Because like you clearly were 
aware enough to know that you were dissociating a little because mm-hmm. I think where people can struggle is they fully dissociate and then they're like, what just happened? Right. So it's right. so a fine, fine line and safety and consent. And this mm-hmm. isn't an established partnership. So like first time kinksters right first time kinksters don't (laughs) don't recommend this i also you know this comes with a caveat yeah but i think i don't know if you agree with this but to me this is sort of like more intentional quote-unquote self-harm and i'm putting it in quotes because i think a lot of people i know growing up who had these emotional flashbacks and these experiences and even now as adults often resort to like just needing some kind of intense something Mm -hmm. which can resort in self-harm and that can look like a variety of things that can look like lashing out that can look like physical cutting like any kind of self-harm and so i think if if folks can get to a place where they know how to intentionally I don't want to say cause harm, but create some sensation, mm-hmm. whether that's pain or whatever, to help regulate them. Mm-hmm. I think that's where it can be really healing. And so this is part of where, like when we were talking earlier about we unconsciously seek out, you know, these these patterns and these opportunities to heal, mm-hmm. like and have those corrective experiences, part of that. I mean, I'll just speak from like my own experience with complex PTSD for decades for me, part of that was seeking out very chaotic relationship dynamics. Mm -hmm. And my relationship with kink has made it so that I know how to channel that differently. Mm -hmm. And this is a great example of that because it was like, okay, rather than get just like swept out into the ocean of this emotional flashback i'm finding a way to actually stimulate the sensation differently regulate with myself with it differently and like part of part of the caveat that i want to be very clear about here is like i mean i have like really studied the body and like have an a very extensive background in like playing with all the things that came online here right it's not like yeah, there's there's a lot of background and education that goes into actually understanding what was going on here uh, in order for it to actually be consensual for me to say to my partner, like, mm-hmm. keep going. Yeah. Um, and so he kept going and, and he was, it was also a moment of him being a little bit taken aback because he was like, this is harder than I usually go so if you're not feeling it like it feels a little weird it it just was like yeah it didn't want to hurt me and it was kind of in the realm of like an alarm bell for him Mm -hmm. but i was like it's okay i so i happened to love getting bruised um and (laughs) internally i was also like well maybe this will just leave a really nice bruise (laughs) um (laughs) and we kept going like as a a, a calming resource yeah exactly and and part of it for me is is also like when the emotional flashback the whole thing with emotional flashbacks is they're just like really disorienting like you don't really know how to get your body under control you don't really know what you need yeah and it can kind of feel like you're watching yourself from a like through a screen yeah it, there's but like a like, there's like a can't control it, there's so a film on it. everything yeah yeah and you're right. watching it play out but you can't quite step in and alter the stuff you're like mm. and there's also uh, for me there's this frustration right of like i'm saying i have this incredible education this like i've hyper fixated on understanding how this stuff operates and in those moments i can't access that knowledge you know what i mean or i i kind of can to a certain extent but i can't like articulate it and i can't um, yeah, I, I also, there's this layer of kind of getting fixated on like what I think the problem is mm-hmm. and that doesn't actually solve it when I'm in it exactly. And so stimulating sensation that's intense enough for me to have to focus on it mm-hmm. is kind of, it's like, you know, when you watch the old movies and someone like someone's having a meltdown and they get smacked across the face and it's like snap out of it. Like, yeah it's sort of like that, Mm -hmm. but a very conscious, intentional practice of it. Mm -hmm. And so my partner kept going and we had a whole session that really like helped me regulate. 
started to, I like, I could watch the sensation come back online. I started to feel it as he kept going was like, okay, I have a number for you. Here's where I'm at. Let's build it up to here and then slowly bring it back down. Mm -hmm. And by the end of it, it was like, I was fully back in my body. My tone of voice changed. I could make eye contact with him differently. Like we were having a totally different interaction. He was like, you're a different human, like you're back. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, great. So good to know that impact does that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that sounds awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I think that's a really like wonderful tool that can be used. Yeah. And, and there's, you know, there's research on this as well. I, I'm hoping there will continue to be more in the actual, the kink realm, but like there's research on this and some tools like maybe the person you were talking about, but also like uh, the work of Peter Levine mm -hmm. on somatic experiencing, like there are tools like tapping and pinching and slapping, not, not just to like hurt yourself, like I said, but with intentional um, creating sensations mm -hmm. that help bring people back to their body. So like this is rooted in research and science of the body, not just like fuck me up, hit me hard. Yeah. Like maybe I'll snap out of it. Yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> Distract me yeah. with my own body. <laughs> right? But like there's real uh, research here. Um, just as we kind of wrap things up a little bit, I've, I've heard you describe um, maybe not, uh, maybe a little bit in this interview, but previously about how you feel like, um, kink and non-monogamy has been like a spiritual practice for you as mm -hmm. well. And I feel like we've touched on it adjacently and how we're talking about it, but like, how do you describe spiritual and how do you feel like it's been connected to those things for you? Mm -hmm. it, I, so it's interesting. I was actually kind of just like adding notes about exactly this, mm -hmm. um, in the book earlier today. And for me, spirituality and healing, like, kind of go hand in hand, but my notion of spirituality tends to be like more energetic and my notion of healing tends to be a little bit more material. And I think about it as this kind of like, um, for me, spirituality is very much about surrender and healing is very much about reclaiming agency. Say that again. A spirituality mm -hmm. and surrender mm -hmm. and healing and agency. Okay. I'm going to I'm gonna have to chew on that one. I like it though. So a, a lot of my training talked about healing as uh, like alleviating suffering, mm -hmm. right? And the, the more that I've gotten into understanding PTSD, mm -hmm. the more I feel like it's actually about accessing choice mm -hmm. and for me relationships of all kinds like whether that's with nature or animals or a higher power or like whatever all for me have this element of energetics that i'm not in control of and being connected to something that is larger than myself and for me non-monogamy because it's been such a realm of me getting to explore healing my trauma, yeah. it that also for me means that it's very much paired with the spiritual practice of like, okay, where is there surrender for me to embody? Like, where is there learning about the human experience and about my place on the earth and my relationship to something larger where I'm also practicing letting go mm. and where it challenges me to say like, okay, here's where I have healing to do. And also here's where I recognize that I'm part of something bigger that I'm not actually getting to make choices about. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's kind of like where those things go hand in hand. Like I'm never going to be all in the camp of surrender of like, <laughs> you just, go with the flow of your life and are not working on your agency. Mm -hmm. And I'm never going to be fully on the end of the spectrum. That's like, I can control it. I can control everything. One of the things that has been actually particularly useful for me in healing complex PTSD is recognizing like, when are those old behavioral patterns coming online? Like when those get really activated for me, mm -hmm. what is it that I'm trying to control? 
there's usually something there that I haven't become conscious of yet that's like freaking me out and I'm trying to control something around it. This episode is sponsored by Back to the Body. Go listen to last week's episode to hear all about Back to the Body from founder Pamela Madsen and learn about my experiences at one of the retreats. In summary, it was awesome. I'm always looking for new ways to connect better with myself, my body, my sexuality, and to find new resources for clients and listeners. And at Back to the Body, they embrace the complex and all-encompassing nature of sexual desire. Pamela and her staff of certified Back to the Body method practitioners use their expertise to guide folks through transformative whole body healing journeys that are individually tailored to fit your specific needs. All you have to do is bring your body. They have week-long sensuous retreats for women, private retreats for couples or groups, shorter events called portals, and online coaching opportunities. Go to backtothebody.org if you're ready for a whole body healing experience. Or better yet, come check out Back to the Body's upcoming portal event happening December 2nd to the 4th in Los Angeles. This non-residential event is for women to ask questions and explore what Back to the Body offers in a safe weekend container. You can witness live demonstrations, receive the art of adoration, experience the Lotus Lift meditation, enjoy workshops, and more. And right now, there's only a few spots left, so go to backtothebody.org slash events slash permission to secure your spot. And if you can't make this one, check out their other retreats and awesome offerings. I really feel like Back to the Body retreats changed my sex life and gave me immense healing and community, so please just give yourself permission to show up. If you don't identify as a woman, you can even gift it to a woman in your life who you think deserves more pleasure, which is all of us. If you're not ready to commit, you can even book a Back to the Body free consultation call at backtothebody.org. It's a free 30-minute call that offers professional support on issues involving your intimacy, your body, and your sex life. So check out backtothebody.org to sign up for the portal event and or a free call. That's backtothebody.org. Now to the episode. Oh, Irene, well, I feel healed. From this <laughs> so I'm done. And the end. <laughs> and and no I'm more PTSD <laughs> over here. I'm done. Um, how can folks uh, hire you, get in touch, read your book that's coming out? In yeah. November. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Um, all the things. Well, anyone who's listening, I am going to be giving away a good number of the books. So anyone who's interested in getting a copy for free, all you have to do is send me an email. We'll do a giveaway. (laughs) Um, My email is irene at irenemorning.com. That's I-R-E-N-E. And then morning as in the time of day. Um, And you can also get in touch with me on Instagram, uh, irene underscore morning. And those are the two easiest ways to track me down to follow you yeah <laughs> to follow me around and see if i yeah. have any anything for you <laughs> and again listeners if you want to follow what i'm doing i'm on instagram at sluts and scholars on twitter at sluts scholars you can listen anywhere you get your podcasts including slutsandscholars.com uh, please don't forget to rate and review it is very helpful and check out those advertiser discounts thank you irene yeah thanks for having me